Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle's CriticsPod. Listen to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We will read it on the air. And please let us know you did, because sometimes we miss them. Uh, we are also on Patreon. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to support the podcast. We have our Public link over at IHateCritics.net. It's up in the right-hand corner, or you can search CriticsPod at tpublic.com. Sean, where can people read your reviews? Uh, they can find me at uh, at uh, Vocal Media, uh, which is uh, geeks.media and horror.media and several other .media sites that w- under that umbrella. And Jeff, where can people find your artwork? Uh, JeffLasser.com. Unless you're in the Quad Cities, then this, uh, this coming weekend, you can come and see me at North Park Mall for QuadCon. I'll be selling my art there and generally begging people to come and hang out with me and watch my stuff so I can go to the bathroom. that's awesome all right let's jump right into this week and talk about creed 3 creed 3 directed by and starring michael b jordan uh picks up the story of adonis creed uh, as he is just leaving boxing he has his final fight Uh, he wins that fight retires as the champion and uh, seems to be ready to step away from boxing uh, that's when he's re- visited by an old friend played by Jonathan Majors, who's a friend from the past and basically kind of a, a representative of all the things that are still holding Adonis Creed back from being the person that he needs to be. Uh, he, they've got a, a traumatic relationship from the past in which uh, he ended up getting, uh, Jonathan Majors ended up getting arrested uh, and losing his boxing career. Adonis ran away and got away and ended up having the career that perhaps Jonathan Major's character would have had. Uh, I thought this was incredible. Honestly, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. I thought the the depth that Michael B. Jordan found in this character and in this performance, I think he brings something entirely new to to this character, a new a new range to this character. I thought the direction was incredible. Uh, the choices that he makes are, are just incredibly smart. But I really loved the emotional journey of it. I loved that he sort of externalizes the kind of uh, anxieties and fears that characters like this, you know, don't. Uh, that, that these characters need to, characters like him need to overcome. You know, these kind of emotionally stunted men who struggle to try and express their emotions and get past these things. You think you can? They think they can just punch their way through. And really, this there's, there's he's going to end up doing that. He's going to end up punching his way through it. But but at the same time, there's a. I think it's still a, a very emotional element of that. There's a catharsis. There's an emotional catharsis to it, and the way that they that he builds that to those emotions and and to that expression of those emotions, I thought was very smart and very well done. Again, I think this is a very internal character, and in using this Jonathan Majors character to sort of expose his emotions through physicality, I thought was, again, I know that's part of the, been part of the Creed journey the entire time, but I thought it was incredibly well done this time. 
uh, especially with the way that he and Jonathan Majors bring out so much intensity uh, between each other. They're, they're two of the best actors working today. Those two just bring so much to each other in this in this story, and I really I really loved that. I also loved you know the stuff with his wife and his daughter. I thought was just lovely the the way that they've embraced uh, his daughter as this deaf character and. You know, part of his journey is is has been learning to accept that side of his life and be more open and vulnerable in that aspect of his life. The vulnerability, especially that Michael B. Jordan has has started to develop within this character and fully forms, I think, by the end of this, that ability to be be able to trust other people finally, to be able to trust himself and who he really is finally. I thought that really was a great journey, and I, I really found the a great deal more emotional depth and, and emotional intelligence to this movie than than the previous Creed movies, and it really moved me in that way. Is it your favorite Creed movie? I think so, yeah. Huh. <clears throat> Jeff, you saw it. <laughs> you looked yeah, disgusted. Yeah, I think... I, well, okay, first of all, I had never seen a Creed movie before this weekend. I watched the first one. I thought it was excellent. Um, it made me really like Sylvester Stallone again. Uh, I haven't seen a movie with him in years and years and years. I didn't watch the last few Rocky movies because I was like, okay, it's the same thing. You know, I get down and then I get back up and I win th- and I fight through it and saw Creed and I was like, okay, that's what we're that's what we're going for. Uh, and then I watched Creed two, and boy, did I get a lot of laundry done during Creed 2 because I was like, oh, I just watched this movie last night. Creed. It's just this, it's that it's that you know, I'm the I'm the champ, you know, but then oh god, something bad happens and I'm not I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna give it all up and then I'm gonna come back. Uh, I think that Michael B. Jordan is one of the most talented actors today. Um, I think Tessa Thompson is shines through everything she does i think jonathan majors is a good actor but sometimes treats everything like shakespeare (laughs) uh you know i mean even the loki tv series i thought that that was a great place to play that as that but then he did the same thing in ant-man and he's doing the same thing here um performances were great direction was good but the story i it was completely predictable uh Felicia Rashad taking the Rocky role in this one and dying on screen, spoiler alert, um, is what they really would have had Rocky do if Sylvester Stallone had been a part of this movie. I know it uh, after the last couple movies. Um, I just, a couple, I, I checked my watch a lot tonight because I was just like, this is the same thing that, has happened the last two movies. It's the same thing that happens in the Rocky movies. It's, you know, he, it's, and yes, I saw the trailer. I knew that the fight was coming, but it was just everything about it. I predicted, I predicted when, you know, at the beginning, when he goes, Michael B. Jordan's uh, younger self beats the guy up. I was like, Oh, he probably molested them or something in the group home. And uh, Jonathan Major's young younger self took the rap for it, and that's why he was away, and that's why Creed feels he owes him something. And it just everything I predicted in the first ten minutes of the movie happened. And but don't get me wrong, the performances were top notch. I 
it made me like Michael B. Jordan even more because of some of the director directorial choices he made. But I just I don't I I never ever want to see another Creed movie or Rocky movie again. It's just because because I just knew every beat that was gonna that was coming, and a lot of the people coming out of the theater with me was like, yeah, it was just the same thing over and over again. So I don't feel alone in that. I don't. Great performances. I don't know where you're getting the best movie of the year, though. I I get it from those performances, and and to call a sports movie predictable is kind of, I mean, yeah, of course it is. Of course we're of course this is building to the big fight. Of course it is. Like yeah, but that's, you know what? That's what you know, you know from what? the beginning. But I uh, so predictable. I mean, we talk about predictability on this show a lot, and you know, with the amount of movies that that we see, we see you know, predictable plots a lot. It's the it's how you elevate those plots. And and they elevate the plot here by by deepening the emotional connections between these characters. I mean Michael Jordan still ha Michael B. Jordan still has an emotional journey to go on as Creed. He's still got obstacles that he needs to overcome from his past. And this movie sort of takes the the emotional element and for men like this, they you know who are who don't deal with their emotions well Taking it, externalizing it, and punching it is kind of the most catharsis he's going to find, and and that via that he does find a new emotional immaturity, and I, I really appreciated that, and I appreciated the way that Michael B. Jordan filmed that and brought it about. I when when it goes silent near, nearly end, he goes silent, and it's just the two of them in the ring together, and I just I was I was really moved, and I loved the the style of that. I loved the style choices. I also just. I just love these characters. I, I've loved them from the beginning, and, and I still love them today. And I, I just thought that the emotional journey was very rich, and that really that really moved me. You know what would have elevated it for me, especially in that last fight? I did like the silent part. I thought that was kind of cool. However, what what really like? I mean, Jonathan Majors is the boogeyman throughout this entire movie. As soon as he makes that turn and. You know, you see the guy come in and break the other guy's arm and you're like, oh, he hired him to do that. And he hired him to do that. Then he talks shit. He talks so much shit. And he's like, you just abandoned everybody and all that. I would have totally loved just once in a boxing movie for Creed to come in and Jonathan Majors is just talking so much shit. And they're talking about how it's going to be, you know, probably go about 12 rounds, you know, it'll It'll be technical and blah, blah, blah. And then in the first round, I just wish Michael Jordan would have walked up to him and just knocked him the fuck out in one punch. I just, I, they never, ever do that. It's like, it's the most protracted stuff. Do something different and just, you know, have him, have him. He psyched himself up so much throughout that training montage that he knows he's got this. And, you know, all it takes is his dot. This is what also they should have done when he's teaching his daughter about boxing and how it's not about violence, it's about, uh, uh, I can't remember, but he taught her the signs for it. I think he should have looked over and she should have signed that to him and he would have gotten a little smile on his face and then just knocked him right out. I think that would have been just, that would have just done something so much different for a Rocky movie, a Creed movie, a boxing movie in general. It would have been cool if they did the sign thing and then he got knocked out in one punch. <laughs> I mean, either one of them, but you know, I mean, you know, he has to win. He's not going to lose. He never loses the ultimate fight that, you know, that he's 
like the Drago fight from the last movie. He's never going to, he's going to always come back and beat him. Of course he lost in the first movie because that was, that was what happened in Rocky. So he, you know, he's got to lose that fight because it's, it's just a remake of Rocky. But I, I just would have, I, I would have been like, whoa, they actually did that. If he just punched him and like knocked him out in the first punch. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, I didn't go see it. Why, obviously, I mean, it's my favorite movie is Rocky. <laughs> Why didn't I go see Creed 3? Because uh, for the show, I thought I'd play a role of pretending to boycott it. Because uh, <laughs> Stallone doesn't. Uh, he was not a fan of the script. Wanted them to make changes. They wouldn't do it. Uh, at the same time, I think they tried to make a Drago TV show without his approval. Because uh, he doesn't have the rights to Rocky. And it, to me, it's his story. And... Uh, I think he should be allowed to have say in the stuff. Uh, doesn't mean he's always right. He's made some terrible movies, but I guess that's why I like Rocky so much is that first movie doesn't matter. You don't care about predictability in that one. You know, you're just kind of lost in the movie watching it. Even now going back, you know, watching it today, it, it's something that you get lost in. And no matter how cheesy or good or bad the rest of them are, it it just kind of elevates the first one even more, I think. And I'm sure I'll see this eventually, but I wasn't in a hurry to go see it and give it my money. It's going to be the best, biggest box office Rocky movie of all time, not adjusted for inflation. I think Rocky Four will still keep that. But, I mean, I like everybody involved. I just, I don't know. It bums me out that the main guy responsible for this whole thing is not involved. I hear you. I, I part of the another that aspect of this that I really loved is is this is for the first time I felt like Michael B. Jordan really became Adonis Creed, and I'll explain this because ro- when it comes to the original Rocky, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky are essentially telling the same story. Sylvester Stallone is Rocky. If Rocky fails, there is no Sylvester Stallone. Just as if Rocky fails, you know, Rocky doesn't become Rocky. You know what I mean? And the the journey there is, you know, you can actually mirror the entire career of Sylvester Stallone via Rocky because it's all about the rises and falls of his career. Uh, interestingly enough, when when Michael B. Jordan takes the role of Adonis Creed, he's already kind of Michael B. Jordan. He's already had his breakthrough role in Fruitvale Station. He's already on the rise as peop- as somebody in Hollywood people are watching. So he's not necessarily identifying with the character of, Ad- of Adonis Creed. But when he reaches this point where he takes over as director and Adonis Creed, he's already kind of come to play that character a couple of times and come to understand him. Now he's directing him like like Rocky, like Sylvester Stallone direct, directed Rocky. And he's truly, I feel in this movie, finally fully embodying and embracing the character of, of Adonis Creed, but also embracing the stakes that are involved because as an artist and a performer, he needs this to be successful. He needs this to prove himself as somebody who can both direct and star in a movie. So he's got some stake. He's got some skin in the game. Not necessarily the way that Rocky did, because again, Sly Stallone becomes a, you know, ends up working in Philly at a, at a meatpacking plant if he fails. Michael B. Jordan's not going to end up there, but certainly he may not be allowed to direct a movie again if this fails. So he's got a lot of, he's got something on the line here. And I felt that he brought that uh, to this. I felt he brought that passion and intensity and felt like Adonis Creed truly uh, that he identified with this character this time. Yeah, I know that's cool. I'm glad 
people like it. I'm glad it's doing well. Uh, I'll probably watch it when it comes to Netflix or on demand somewhere. Uh, I'm not really passionate about my boycotting of it. It's just kind of one of those. It was a busy weekend, <laughs> so I figured it'd be fun to play on the show. Uh, but, I mean, it does bum me out a little bit. But at the same time, Stallone's not like, he's not hurting. For, you know, He's made plenty of shit movies. He's not necessarily the greatest person in the world. Uh, I just like Rocky a lot. Uh, anyway, anything else on Creed three before we move on? Um, I, I know there will be a Creed four. Well, there's got to be at least six. 15, I, I 15, wish there weren't in honestly. fifteen years. In I wish there weren't a, a, a Creed four because honestly, I think this is the culmination of that journey. I think it should. I think it should end where it ended. I thought that was a tremendously oh, I, great ending. I, I thought it was a really good ending too, but you know that in 15 years his daughter is going to be the the back the boxer and he's going to have to train her and they'll be at Rocky's gym because Sylvester Stallone will have shuffled off the mortal coil. Either that I'll give or... Michael B. I'll give Michael B. Jordan a little more credit and think he'll come up. I mean, yes, maybe his daughter is the one, but I think maybe he'll come up with something you know, as emotionally rich as this one. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I still don't think Creed's Force Awakens, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Operation Fortune. Operation Fortune, uh, Ruse de Guerre, stars, uh, Sylve- stars uh, Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham <laughs> as Oscar Fortune. So that's and, what uh, he was doing. <laughs> so we're talking to yeah you know, we're talking about predictability before and this is one of those you know get the group together to do a heist movies but this time they're spies who've got to do the heist you know it's like a spy team and uh it's incredibly predictable but it's also just again elevated by people who are having a great time doing this material the it's basically just a simple MacGuffin movie the MacGuffin is the thing that everybody wants this terrorists you know faceless terrorists steal it at the beginning and they're going to try and sell it to the highest bidder and it's up to the heroes so Jason Statham Aubrey Plaza Carrie Elwes Bugsy Malone uh to stop the bad guys from getting it and doing whatever horrible thing they're going to do with it and along the way they just get big action scenes and really silly big dumb action scenes but a lot of very funny stuff Jason Statham is a very is, plays his character Oscar Fortune as this guy who uh He's just very he's finicky. He's like he won't he won't do anything unless he gets his way. So it's like he has to have a massive plane because he says he's because he claims to be claustrophobic. He has to have the largest personal plane. He's got to have wine from the very specific year, <laughs> a very expensive bottle. It's all just a lot of bullshit just to get him to do what he's supposed to do and what he's going to do anyway. But it's like little character touches. And then him and Aubrey Plaza have a lovely chemistry just bouncing off of each other. Not necessarily romantic either. It's it's more of a it's a friendly chemistry and that's really fun. Carrie Elwes is terrific in this movie. He plays the kind of handler character, so he's constantly arranging things for them. And then Hugh Grant is having the best time playing the world's biggest uh uh terrorist. He buys and sells all all the missiles and whatnot, and he's uh trying to broker the sale for the MacGuffin that everybody wants. Uh, then you've got Josh Hartnett, who gets dragged into the story as a movie star who is you know, called upon to pretend to play an actual spy. Uh, and he's having a great time. Really, just the fun that everybody in the cast is having makes this movie 
a lot more fun than it should be because again it's entirely predictable it's entirely a movie you've seen before but like i said if you're, you're gonna do something that that we've seen before you have to elevate it in some way and they elevate it by guy Ritchie directing it with all of his you know all of his talent and a cast that's just having a really great time enacting you know working in the margins, uh, working in funny, funny shit here and there. That's just unique to this movie. Uh, so that works for me. I, I really enjoyed this a lot. Did you watch it, Jeff? I did not. And I'll say, I didn't see it either, but you know, there is something to, if you can capture the fun, the cast is having in a movie that does go a long way. You look at movies like growing ups and expendables. Clearly that cast for both movies was having an amazing time you do not see that on the screen at all. So uh, that is cool that they captured that here. Uh, Rebroken. Rebroken is a very dumb movie starring Tobin Bell from Saw, sort of, kind of. Is he Jesus? (laughs) Is he the devil? Who the hell knows? But uh, he's got a guy who's uh, in a support group. He's a guy who's, I guess, been arrested and is in the support in a grief support group because his daughter died while he was drunk under his care and he's now in being forced to go through group but is it a real group or are they all in hell i don't know who the fuck cares this movie is really awful uh tobin bell is basically here to kind of make you think that this is a saw movie when it's really very much not it's very much like a christian redemption movie i think uh, I think because again, I'm, I'm kind of hard pressed to try and tell you what this movie really is. Uh, he he reads he reads sort of Bible verses to the guy, but they're not really Bible verses. They're just kind of inspiring, I guess. <laughs> but is he trying to inspire him to stay in hell or inspire him to get out of heaven? Well, you'll have to wait to see. There's this dumbass twist ending, which is just utter nonsense. That at the end, that kind of vaguely explains everything it's a really dumb really terrible movie that i do not recommend i watched it because i love tobin bell and i wanted to know what the hell rebroken meant and you know what rebroken means it's just broke again and it has nothing to do with anything in this movie like yes so wait, the guy, it's, it's like the guy's three days after every payday <laughs> The guy's spirit's like broken, but why would you need to break it again? You know, like what would be the point of that? What's the journey? It's really awful. Why can't you share the spoils with us? I'm never going to see oh, it. Feel free. Well, he, <laughs> Unless he Jeff doesn't want to know. Jeff? I'm never going to watch it. I, okay. You know what? What this show has taught me is that, yes, I should probably try to watch everything, but God, after the first couple months, I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he hit his head. His daughter was drowning. He went in to save her. He was drunk. Hit his head. He ends up in a sort of comatose state or a, uh, and is kind of vaguely aware. And everybody around him is, you know, his, the two people who are evil in his group are actually his ex-wife and her new boyfriend. Tobin Bell's his doctor. Uh, another woman in this group is his, is his nurse. And they're all just trying to trying to get him to wake up and come out of his coma, I think. That's dumb. It really, it really is. It really is dumb. It's really awful. I really don't want to see Tobin Bell do anything but Jigsaw. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. He's got this <laughs> so, creepiest face. So far, he's proven he can't really do anything other than that at this point. Well, it's not really fair. I mean, it sucks, but I mean, Robert Englund couldn't do anything else. Uh, I mean, even Kane Hodder, other than those other Jasons, but still, everybody just expects him to do that only. Uh, what's next? Burial? Burial is a uh, sort of DIY horror movie. It's a really, really, really low-budget horror film. Uh, a guy is in the woods, and he's got a shotgun, and he's done something horrible. He calls his brother who and kind of tells him, hey, I really need your help. Uh, he wants him to come to this cabin that, they, that their parents owned in the middle of nowhere to help him out. The guy's girlfriend insists on going with him, and when they show up, uh, the brother's acting very, very strange, and it turns out that he's attacked a man and possibly killed him somewhere in the woods, and he wants his brother to help him bury the body. The only thing is, the guy's not actually dead and may, in fact, be an undead demon. Uh, there's an axe fight in this movie, which I love. You know, if you're going to put an axe fight in a movie, A-plus from me. Love a good axe fight. Uh, <laughs> is this a great movie? No. But I love the I love the intensity that these actors are bringing to this, especially one of the actors, the bad guy actor, is bringing a lot of, of intense energy that entertained me a lot. Uh, the movie ne- is never really very scary, but it, I think for being made for like two bucks, <laughs> I think. Oh come on! It was a dollar fifty. A <laughs> dollar being made for a dollar fifty. I liked it enough to say that I recommend it. I tried three times to watch it um now now in my defense it was late at night we're bringing back the sleep test because i tried three (laughs) times and the i i the second time i got to the the scene where the possible demon is sitting down at the table and telling them the story and i could not stay awake past that point um (laughs) all three times i tried to watch it but now let me say this. I would I actually want to go back and finish it because I I mean it looked like, you know, they got their camera at Goodwill for 7.99 and they found some old VHS tapes. But it was kind of a decent idea and mm-hmm. you know, if I feel like if the leads had had a couple more days of rehearsal or, you know, acting class or something, I don't think it would have been that bad. Um there's a lot that you can do. I'm sorry, with uh, a very low budget, but some interesting lighting or different angles, and that was the thing. The thing that like kind of took me, kept taking me out of it is, I thought I kept thinking, oh, this, you know what? If you just tried this different angle, or you know, like shut a light off over here. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, had some interesting lighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was everything was filmed under like regular room lights and it never changed you know they and he didn't do any coverage on anything but i feel like if if in the hands of a better kind of camera person slash director because i think he did everything Mm -hmm. it would have been a little more watchable amen i completely agree with that i completely agree with that and i i like i said i think the low budget spirit is about you know it's great the about the what really impressed me though was the first the first thing you see is just this guy 
uh, sitting in the forest alone, crying, and in and in the he's in the background, and in the foreground is a shotgun, and like, what's going to happen? Is guy going to blow his head off? What's he going to do? And he picks up a phone and he starts to make a phone call, and that's when we cut to the rest in the movie and i thought that's an intriguing place to start with a character and a movie especially when you're talking about a movie that is this you know low budget it, it you know it's just it, it it comes from a very you know clever place to start yeah you don't have to have a big budget to make an interesting movie i mean mm-hmm. look at the movie tangerine it was all shot on iphones yeah i just i these guys would kill to have an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was shot on a Game Boy. <laughs> it's free on Tubi, so you're not like, you know, you're not missing anything if you put it on, but And then there's a little white lie. A little white lie is uh you know, we were talking about this before about movies that have uh, a a not-so-original idea that do something original with it. In this case, we've got a story about a guy who's pretending to be somebody he's not. And we've seen that plot before. Uh, We've seen how that plays out before. It becomes this awkward thing at the end where everybody finds out about the guy who was lying about who he was, and and they somehow manage to make that into a happy ending. We've seen that before, but we've never seen it with Michael Shannon bringing his full Michael Shannon intensity to it before in a comedy. And that, to me, was a lot of fun. The idea here is that, um, and I'm not going to spoil this one because I want you to see this because I really enjoyed it a lot. So I'm going to be careful not to spoil anything. But uh, basically, Kate Hudson is a professor of literature at a Utah college. They're throwing a literature festival, and she needs a big name to anchor that. And she happens upon somebody she thinks is this sort of uh, Salinger-like character who wrote one big hit novel and then disappeared. It was this very controversial bestseller, and then he never wrote another thing. And she thinks she found him, and she thinks it's Michael Shannon, and she sends him an invitation, and he decides to accept it, knowing that he's you know not that guy. Uh, but he's going to go there and kind of adapt and pretend to be that guy. And, uh, you know, along the way, have a free hotel room and maybe meet some people and just generally get out of the rut that is his life. He's basically working as like a janitor in New York and getting out of town and getting away from that sounds like a, a little bit of fun for him. But it's Michael Shannon. So he's he's like bringing taxi driver energy to what is a very typical mainstream comedy. And. I mean, it it just works. Him and Kate Hudson are great together. The only bad thing, and I hate to say this because I I actually love this actor, but Zach Braff is bad in this movie. He's really bad in this movie, and it's really unfortunate. Um, But there's a there's a bit of a twist in the end that I I was really I really enjoyed, and I really just I had a great time watching this movie. Don Johnson's in this. uh, Several other well known character actors have interesting roles in this and it, it just it's a movie that that has a lot of fun toying with a very conventional story but having Michael Shannon be Michael Shannon and and I I really happen to like Michael Shannon a lot so that worked for me <laughs> just reminds me of that pro wrestling store where where they booked the wrong one-legged wrestler <laughs> <laughs> hilarious uh yeah i didn't watch anything this week because i took my entire family to friday the 13th uh did you go to that at all jeff or no i was i was very sick last week actually thursday night i thought i had covid i didn't um 
I was going to take my nieces to see Friday the 13th at Nightmare on Elm Street, but I called them on Friday. I was like, you can e- we can either go tonight or we can go tomorrow night. And I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street on the big screen. I mean, if you can believe it. Um, and we all went to that. So I've seen Friday the 13th several times and, you know, we just watched it last month. Right. So I was like, uh, if I had to pick, I would definitely rather see Nightmare. Now, I'm kind of mad that I, I didn't know that Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre was playing last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have loved to have seen you know, that Child's, Child's Play was Sunday. If I'd had the, if I'd had the chance, because Halloween was Thursday, and I've seen that yeah. like probably a half a dozen times in the, on the, in the theater. I, and I'm, never, I'm not going to watch it again in the theater, because the last time I saw it was 35 millimeter. And it was almost pristine print. It was just so I'm like, I can't go watch a Blu-ray on the big screen. <laughs> right. Um, have you seen you've seen the original Friday the 13th more than once, Bob? Twice now. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> once when I was in eighth so. grade and then once or seventh grade, uh, which was the first horror movie I ever saw. And then then just this last time. So it was I'd never seen it in the big screen before. I have seen Halloween, never Texas Chance Massacre or Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, but it just kind of a spur of the moment. My daughter wanted to go on a date with her boyfriend. My wife was out of town and talked my 10 year old into going. And <laughs> what did he think? Uh, he, he said, Jason's mom looked like her neighbor. <laughs> and then he's friends with our neighbor's grandson. And he decided to tell him that. <laughs> oh, like, God. oh Lord. Oh no. Uh, but I mean, the kid hadn't seen it, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. So yeah. he's got a solid 10 years probably before he knows what the <laughs> references, uh, he hit his head a lot, you know, he yeah. got scared here and there, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's such a good movie. <laughs> I forgot how it good really, it is. See justice for Friday the 13th, because it, you know, it gets maligned so much, but they got New York theater actors who knew how to act. They may not have done a lot afterwards as far as film goes, but, you know, hey, um, I Nightmare on Elm Street. I took my two nieces, uh, one's 16 and one's 14. The 14 year old before I moved back here a little a little over almost two years ago, uh, hated horror movies, clowns, dolls. I've gotten her to she's obsessed with Scream now. We're actually going Thursday to see that the three of us together. She watched Chucky and Megan and thought they were great. Uh, she loved Nightmare on Elm Street. We watched the first five Friday the 13th. Uh, we're sitting there. And I, I, what was great about seeing this on the big screen for the first time is, A, I noticed so much stuff that I had never seen before. And I just was like, and mostly that's my fault because I don't necessarily always just sit and watch a movie. It's very hard for me to do that at home because I'm always drawing or something. And I don't think I've ever sat down and watched A Nightmare on Elm Street since we watched it a couple, like last last year on the small screen. But, oh God, I noticed so much stuff in that movie. And I just, I, I, now I just want to see it again on the big screen just to reiterate that. Um, another thing, though, and... I, when I lived in LA for a year, I would go around to all the different locations and stuff. So, you know, I've been to Nancy's house several times on Genesee Avenue and you can literally turn around and there's Glenn's house. It is literally across the street. Um, I've been to the bridge in, in Venice where 
they filmed the scene where Johnny Depp tells Heather Langenkamp how to get the power to get rid of Freddie and, you know, and she's reading the, the booby trap book that stood on that bridge thinking about personal safety and anti-personnel devices and all that. Um, it, in the later movies, like, I think, I think they, I think it's in Freddie's dead. They say that it takes place in Springwood, Ohio. I have never seen so many goddamn palm trees in a movie as I did in Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. So telling me that it takes place in Ohio, I was like, girl, come on. <laughs> so don't ever let, don't just don't ever watch Freddy's dead. You'll never have to think about that. Yeah. I wish Plus I knew. Terrible. I wish I knew this was coming. Cause I would have loved to see Texas chance. It does bum me out that that movie's, included with all of these because i do think it's far superior than everything else and really isn't it's kind of beyond a slasher movie i think it got pulled into the slasher genre with leatherface <laughs> part three yeah up until then, i don't think it belonged in yeah. there at all uh, well part two part two is uh all well, the makeup but, was done by tom savini so it was in fangoria and they just kind of conflated all that you know so but that was such a mm-hmm. slapsticky weird kind of it wasn't your <laughs> typical I don't know. It was almost like Toby Hooper saying, fuck you. I don't want to make this movie, but if I'm going to make it, I'm going to make a comedy, <laughs> oh, which is very well, punk he, rock. Well, he made it. Okay. So the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it was, he just wanted to kill hippies. Right. You know, he was sick. Of, he was sick of hippies. So let's, let's massacre a bunch of hippies. The second one, he was sick of yuppies. So he met like the first scene where he, you know, Leatherface and uh, they're, massacring the yuppies in the car so you know it's like that's the seed of the idea and i just i i love those movies so much yeah and i mean really i think you probably not that you know i'm not just trying to suck up but i you probably could put black christmas there instead of texas chance massacre it belongs more oh yeah yeah uh, and really, when you think about it part of I, I think i might be with you guys i think i might like friday the 30th it's better than halloween uh, I think Absolutely. just no not, question. well, I know you, but <laughs> 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 there's something to not see in the killer the whole time that just adds so much suspense to it. And with, because you can see Michael in the background, I think John Carpenter does a great job with it. Uh, but it's so much scarier not seeing the bad guy, the entire movie, which obviously black Christmas does better than any, all these movies. Uh, but yeah, hey, Sean, we got to get you to lobby your friends at the theater to get black Christmas. For the for the Christmas season, because I've never yeah. seen it on a big screen, and I would probably cry if I got the chance. How and much, I don't want to have to drive to Chicago. To how much it. does it cost to rent a theater out and just do it ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can't it's be surprisingly. It's not that much. I just say really. it can't be that expensive. Maybe we'll do that. Remind me. We'll see what we can. I'll save my money. <laughs> hey, we just have an event. Exactly. Hey, there you go. We have my, you know. Everyone's a critic event. And Josh and Zach we, can come. <laughs> if we do it for the podcast, Bob, you could write it off. So <laughs> I would I would be all for that. That'd be fun. I'll I'll wear my hand sweater, like the sweater that Olivia Hussey <laughs> has in the beginning of the movie. I own that sweater. Awesome. Not nice. the actual one she wore, it would never fit me, but <laughs> uh, but uh, Jeff and I have decided that the next uh, the next one we're gonna do for our uh, for a commentary is nightmare. We're going to do nightmare next. 
Awesome. And for those of you at home, I don't have Friday the 13th on Patreon yet. Sean and I are trying to figure that out, uh, which, uh, but it will be there eventually. Uh, I know Sean mentioned it last episode, and I was too ashamed to correct him. <laughs> you do have it this time, right? I can't. I don't know how to use Google Drive yet, so I need to get with you offline <laughs> at some point. Uh, and just tell me where to look. I know you said you sent it direct through. Anyway, we'll do it off air. Uh, okay. No, let's talk about this. This is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Come on, walk him through it on air. <laughs> Our undisputed classic is 10 Things I Hate About You. 10 Things I Hate About You, directed by Gil Junger from 1999 and starring Heath Ledger and Julie, Julia Stiles is a very, very, very loose adaptation of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew, updated for you know high school kids in the late 90s. Cat uh, Stratford is a girl who uh, hates all the boys at her high school. She's got a reputation for you know, literally beating them up if necessary. And there's a rule in her house that says that her sister, Bianca, Larissa Olenek, can't can't date unless her sister does. So she tells this to a couple guys who would like to date her, and they set about finding somebody to date Kat. And they settle upon Heath Ledger, who's this guy who, Patrick Verona, who has this reputation of being a criminal and a daredevil and all this stuff, who seems like the guy who might be crazy enough to try and date Kat Stratford. And uh, that's where we proceed from from there. Uh, like I said, it's a very loose adaptation of Taming of the Shrew, which is a just an utterly horrific thing, like the worst thing Shakespeare's ever put to put to <laughs> put to paper. Uh, a horrible story about a woman who is, you know, willful and independent, who is broken by her husband to become the most obedient woman uh, in in the play, uh, and. I think what I used to love this movie, 10 Things I Hate About You. I really did used to love it. I still I still do like elements of it. I still like Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger. I think that they're working very hard. I think everything else in the movie is incredibly awkward. Every time they try and reference Shakespeare, the, especially in the dialogue and in the names, it just feels very awkward, very forced. And then we get to the end, and the ending this time, as as much as Julia Stiles is giving it everything she has, it is such a misconceived idea of an ending, because it ends with him being found out. For He gets paid to date her. She finds out about it at the prom and, and breaks up with him and runs away. And then it ends with her essentially apologizing to him, like this was her fault, that she misunderstood how much he loved her and she gives this very emotional speech and again julia styles phenomenal delivering that speech she's so great real genuine tears and emotion but it's the wrong direction heath ledger is the one who needs to be apologizing he's the one who's wrong but the why they did that the reason they they did it that way is because the play has her admitting that she's wrong the play has her uh you know acquiescing to her own desires and giving giving herself away to her husband. The play, of course, is far more, way more ugly and misogynistic with her having him, essentially, he wins a wager at the end of the play by showing that his wife has been broken so much that she has gone from the most willful and independent to the single most obedient. And he wins a wager because of that. Awful. Just an awful thing. Here, again, they, they're trying to honor the play, which doesn't deserve to be honored, by having her be the one who admits that she, she was wrong and out of line and she needed to make it up to him. 
for for misunderstanding his true you know intentions and you know they try and make it up for that with a scene immediately after that where he uses the money he got from the from the you know, being paid to date her to buy her a guitar but again that's all very forced and very quick and it just rushes to an ending uh, again i think there's so many good things about this that i wish i could love I tr- I, it takes an effort for me to try and like this movie unfortunately and i i'm just i'm i'm not willing to put in that effort anymore 24 years later jeff um i had never seen this movie until this weekend um it was cute. It was like, I don't really, it's so dated um, that, you know, I knew going into it that it was uh, a loose adaptation of the Taming of the Shrew. So I knew that there would be a little, you know, your general misogyny. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. It's like, there are so many better romantic comedies from the nineties that give women a little more agency. You know, it's like she has the agency right up until the end. And then it's like, Oh no, it's my fault. And beautifully acted. I mean, you know, she breaks and it wasn't even scripted that she breaks, but she just broke because she felt it so much. But uh, I don't, it, it was cute, but it didn't hold my attention. You know, like I just talked about not being able to, um, you know, watch stuff, at home a lot and i really said i sat down and about three quarters of the way through i was like i ah, just uh can i can i just read the synopsis uh, I, but then you know I, I was reading imdb about it as i was watching and then it was you know the last scene where julia styles breaks down, i'm like okay i gotta watch that because i really do like her but it just isn't it doesn't hold up I don't, I don't, I guess if, you know, if you're a little younger than me, that might still be the touchstone for you, but, you know, not for me. I I think for me, when I first saw it, you know, it was kind of being forced to watch it on a date or whatever and not expecting it to be as good as it was. And therefore a low bar and obviously Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles are amazing actors. So they overachieved you know then going back and watch it i i had a similar experience to sean where it's like i want to like it i still like those two and they're good in it but it's definitely it's not the movie i remember seeing uh and i should have you know i don't know shit about shakespeare so i didn't really think about it from that angle (laughs) but uh it yeah it, it wasn't as good as i remember it being but they're still great in it uh but yeah, it, I think it just more than anything it outperformed my expectations back in the late '90s, uh, which probably is why I had such a good memory of it. Uh, but I never watched it again after that. So now I have, and it's just fine, I guess. A little troublesome here and there, but. Mm-hmm. I think I think something else that it kind of affected my a little bit uh, affected my ability to enjoy this is that uh, when I in '99 when I saw it and. I wasn't really as familiar with Shakespeare as I am now, and I certainly was not remotely aware of, you know, the awfulness that was Taming of the Shrew. Like, in the 90s, we didn't pay attention to this stuff. Now, you know, we're more more mature and uh, awake to that sort of thing, and I finally decided to look at Taming of the Shrew, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know Shakespeare was an incel. That really surprised me. I, uh... 
<laughs> but apparently, he, that's a the taming of the shrew is basically the incel ideology. Women need to be broken and uh, and obedient to men, um, and and given to them, uh, you know, for the for the proper price. Uh, that's basically the message of that awful, awful play. And uh, anything that would try to adhere to that. Uh, and not try and you know subvert it uh, is is an is an ill conceived idea. Well, and there's I mean, especially then, and it's gotten better now. But it's just like you look at something classic like a Shakespeare or anybody, really, they just automatically get a free pass because it's literature or classic art, and it really I've never like. I, it doesn't bother me when somebody says they hate the Beatles. You know, I, I get it. You don't just want to say it's great for the sake of it being great. I hate Elvis. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, I don't think, it always bugged me that classic, you know, icons that ever just got a free pass and just automatically everything they did was good, which is part of why I think they made this movie, just because it's Shakespeare. We have to make a Shakespeare. Let's, you know, take this and kind of loosely make a movie out of it. So I'm not mad at them for making it, especially then. I get it. I just it it feels a little weird now, uh, but it is cool that you know we can kind of question works of art and not automatically say they're amazing for just because they're old. Amen. All right, 1993. We had Amos and Andrew, Swing Kids. Best of the Best 2, Mad Dog and Glory, and Shadow of the Walk? Wolf. Wolf. Sorry, my handwriting sucks. <laughs> uh, it, this, this sucks. So we on the 93 podcast, we plan to do uh, Best of the Best 2 because it seemed like the, the dumbest, silliest possible movie we could do. And then come to find out, you can get Best of the Best 1. You can get Best of the Best 3. You cannot get Best of the Best 2. <laughs> Unless you want to watch it in Tamil, uh, the Indian language of Tamil, uh, which I tried. I tried watching it in that, uh, tried to catch it in context. It, it was very silly, but I uh, still couldn't. It did, couldn't convince the, our, our co-hosts to, to join me for that. So we ended up watching Swing Kids. Uh, Swing Kids is bad. Don't watch Swing Kids. Um, it's, a, it's a movie where, yeah, of course, you're on the side of the Swing Kids. But they're also opposed to the Nazis, so you kind of have to be on the side of the Swing Kids. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just kind of embarrassed to be on their side in general because their side is kind of dumb. The movie just isn't anti-Nazi enough. It needs to be a lot more anti-Nazi. Uh, at times, it's almost try- like it's trying to convince you that... that uh, not necessarily that it's okay that these guys are going over to the Nazis, but it's like really making the case how these guys got one, some of these guys got one over. <laughs> and I think you need to be a little bit more anti-Nazi if you wouldn't if you don't mind movie, just be a little <laughs> bit more anti-Nazi. Uh, so yeah, we didn't we didn't have fun. Uh, we had fun making fun of it. We had a good conversation about it afterwards, which of course you'll hear on the next uh, ninety three podcast. But yeah, no, don't don't, don't watch Swing Kids. Uh, we we thought it would be funny. Uh, to to uh, repeat the phrase that they use in the movie, uh, but it, the phrase that they use at the end instead of you know the the hail Hitler thing, uh, Sieg Heil is they they say swing Heil, and it just it sounds oh. wrong. It still sounds wrong. <laughs> like even trying to be oh. funny with it, yeah. anything to do with Heil just still sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like victoriously yelling swing Heil at the end. It's like no, 
No, it doesn't doesn't work. No. So why didn't you watch the movie that when I found out it existed, uh, a movie where De Niro and Bill Murray were both in, and then you realize, <laughs> oh, there's a reason why I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <clears throat> <laughs> Is it terrible? I've not it's seen not, it. I mean, it was we were, terrible. It's very forgettable. We we were trying to like we wanted to watch uh, something that that was going to get to, going to inspire a conversation, and we were a little concerned that might be too good. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason you haven't seen it, and Bill Murray and Robert De Niro are in it with Uma yeah, Thurman. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bill yeah. Murray plays like the heavy. You know, he plays the bat, the main mafia guy. Uh, mm-hmm. So right away, it's I don't know. It's fine. I, I haven't gone back and watched it in forever, but uh, it's funny. We we were gonna we actually turned off Swing Kids. Like we just don't, we didn't want to keep watching it. We were gonna switch to another movie. Then we realized we we're just about out of time, so we finished Swing Kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week we got Scream Six, Champions sixty five. Our classic is When a Stranger Calls nineteen ninety three. We got Fire in the Sky, A Far Off Place, and CB four. What are you watching? We are watching Fire in the Sky. Uh, yes. Didn't didn't want to talk about Chris Rock, so we decided to go with Fire in the Sky. <laughs> you didn't like it? No, not even a little bit. No. All right. No. Chris Rock I'm, is officially old. <laughs> I'm super hyped for Scream Six. Uh, one of my friends went and saw it last night, the Philadelphia premiere, and said it was probably his it was his third favorite out of all of them um, after the first two uh and he really he loves scream he loves all of them so getting really hyped for that yeah. i'll watch i'm finally watching scream five tomorrow so i call it five cream you should too. <laughs> uh, i'm gonna I, the reason i what's weird for me is that i'm super hyped about this one even knowing, uh, you know, after seeing the last one, which I did not love, uh, I thought it had some good parts, but did not. I really did not love it. Um, mm. And I'm a, I'm an easy lay when it comes to Scream. So uh, I actually liked Scream Three better than Scream Five or Five Cream. Oh, that sucks! I really hated Scream Three, so that's not going to be good and, for yeah, me. But <laughs> you have to. So I'm looking at it through a gay lens, and Parker uh-huh. Posey's in it. Yeah, party girl Parker Posey, who who hit me with her umbrella three times in one night by accident. Um, <laughs> I she is Chef's kiss in Scream Three. I laugh every time she's on screen. She's just I, justice for Jennifer Jolie. She should have lived the same way apparently Kirby lives in this one. So hmm. I've only seen the first three. <laughs> I I don't know. I have a hard time with it being a different killer every time. It doesn't. I just don't get why they keep putting on the same outfit. Maybe I should go back and watch four, five, and six. But I really, I, I really, <laughs> that's a very good question. Yeah, I mean, just reasonable. Well, I, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. So okay, Scream One. You know, that's the that's just the off the shelf costume, literally. Yeah, they use. Um, Scream Two. They've got the movie Stab, which uses that same one because it's easy to get. So then. You know, everybody wears that. So the killers are like, hey, we can just use the same one that they were using in the movie. Scream 3 takes place on the set of Stab 3, 
so they've got it readily available. Scream 4 is the remake, quote unquote. That's the like the theme of it. You know, like the first theme was, you know, taking the piss out of, of horror movies. This is kind of taking the piss out of remakes. And then Scream 5 is, you know, hey, we're, you know, it's a requel. So yeah. you got to it do, it makes sense that they're using the same costume but it would make more sense to me if Nev Campbell wasn't in all of them and Courtney Cox and I know well, Nev Campbell's not, in the, not in the new one uh but not yeah. for they she was supposed to be so. yeah <laughs> well the the talk is the talk is that they offered her not very much money cuz they didn't have a big part for her but it, and I'm guessing it was probably going to be like a video call or something you know FaceTime with those guys just to check up on them. And then supposedly they were going to turn around and give her a, like a big part in, St- in Scream 7. So we'll see. I don't well, know. Yeah, I just it would make more sense if it was a random story every time with what you're saying because then now they have the costume and then it's, they're counting somebody else. I just felt like they kept – and again, I, only, I stopped at three. So really I'm just projecting on four and five. Uh, <laughs> well, you should go back and watch them all. At least four is good. Four is a good movie. Yeah, four is really good. All right. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, all right. Let's play a little flick chart and go to bed. Thor, the Dark World, Dante's Peak. Thor, the Dark World. Yeah, I agree. Not my favorite Thor, but I better than Dante's Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak has, guy, has a guy driving a Jeep over the lava. Fuck you, movie. Yeah. <laughs> you clearly have never driven a Jeep. gravity robin hood gravity the russell crowe robin hood gravity's by far gravity over all robin hoods (laughs) yeah gravity's pretty amazing uptown saturday night uh synecdoche new york synecdoche synecdoche new york absolutely great movie uptown saturday night I haven't seen either one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Are you tracking the people that Bill Cosby has raped via that movie? Yep. (laughs) All right. The one I can't say. (laughs) Doom Before Sunset. Before Sunset. Before Sunset. That's a great one movie, though. Doom Before Sunset. Anastasia, It's a Wonderful Life. Anastasia. It's a Wonderful Life. I don't give a I shit. Make Bob pick. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. I don't remember Anastasia. Avengers Age of Ultron Rango. I like Avengers Age of Ultron, but Rango is a, is phenomenal. I love Rango. I'm going to pick Age of Ultron. I, I really actually like that, even if a lot of people didn't. I hated it. I'll take Rango. I, the fact that they were <laughs> saving everybody falling out of the buildings was just like, come on, let them die. Arlington Road or Batman and Robin? <laughs> Let him die. Oh, come on, in real life. And again, I know there's no superheroes yeah. in real life, but yeah. it's like, give me a little bit of, <laughs> it can't be completely happy ending. There needs to be some sort of threat. <clears throat> Arlington Road or Batman and Robin? I'm torn on this one, honestly, because like Arlington Road, I don't think lives up to to how good it could be. I think there's so much of a better possible movie there, whereas Batman and Robin is terrible, but it's terrible in the best way because I just enjoy watching how bad it is. I'm picking Batman and Robin. 
because yeah, I nipples, mean, I, Joel Schumacher, Uma Thurman. It's terrible. It's awful, but I think I'd watch it again before being disappointed by Arlington Road again. <laughs> I loved Arlington Road in 99. I don't have never watched it again, so uh, I'll take that. But oh, one of my top ten favorite movies. Closer, or Friday the 13th, the final <laughs> chapter. Closer. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Closer. Uh, is this? I think it is closer that I like better. Sorry, Ugh, Jeff. <laughs> you're the worst. <laughs> we should do a, a Friday the 13th uh, um, run. Like, put that up against everything sometime. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Let's do it now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, why not? What else are we going to yeah. do? All right. It's time to Bring disappoint it. Jeff. Oh, this is tough. <laughs> <laughs> Friday the 13th, Tango and Cash. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Yeah, Tango and Cash is a disappointment. Friday the 13th, Freaky Friday. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Although Freaky Friday the 13th would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hate Freaky Friday. Je- Jamie Lee Curtis is the killer, but she's embodied by Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. <laughs> she switches bodies with Jason Voorhees. They could make that uh, now and it would work still. Uh, Friday the 13th, Bottle Rocket. Ooh, that is hard. That is hard. I'm going to go Friday the 13th. It's a little bit of recency bias. I haven't seen Bottle Rocket in a while, but Bottle Rocket's incredible. It's really good. I just, with the way that Owen and Luke Wilson have kind of aged for me as far as their performances go I'm still picking Friday the 13th agreed Friday the 13th oh. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire Friday the 13th yeah agreed. I like Goblet of Fire but I still it's do a good like movie. it I just... Friday the 13th Finding Nemo oh man Ah, where do I go on that one oh man mm. that's hard I love Finding Nemo it's Finding Nemo for me. Yeah, I just I love that movie. So are we? So the story of a mother who will literally kill a bunch of people to to protect the memory of her dead son, or an absentee father who loses his son. I'm picking Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> Don't forget he rescues him too. <laughs> Eventually. I mean, Finding Nemo is better, but I like Friday the Thirteenth better. If that makes sense. And again, recency mm-hmm. bias. <laughs> all right sorry now you're kind of in trouble friday the 13th or the social network the social <laughs> network i'm i'm gonna pick friday the 13th but i that's because i know you're gonna pick the social network bob yeah, social network's phenomenal it's like the citizen came of our era oh here's another uh, tough one friday the 13th vertigo <laughs> vertigo Okay, I know Vertigo is the better movie, so I will pick that. However, I wa- I've watched Vertigo twice, and I've watched Friday the 13th at least 100 times in my life. I'm not liking where it's at on our list right now, and I'm really nervous where we're going to... I don't know if you guys can see with our rankings off here to the yeah. left, <laughs> but uh, I'm a little nervous. Friday the 13th, Fight Club. Friday the 13th. 
Yeah, Fight Club, the only thing that has aged well is the joke that Helena Bottom Carter makes about not being <laughs> like that since elementary school. I, I like I like a lot of Fight Club. And I, 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 uh, but I, I would I, if I'm gonna watch one that's more fun. I think Friday the Thirteenth is more fun. I think yeah. I'm I'm more sad watching Fight Club than anything. <laughs> I would probably take Fight Club, but it's easier since you both took Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> uh, Friday the Thirteenth Swingers. Honestly, Friday the 13th, I, I like Swingers too, but I think I enjoyed Friday the 13th and appreciated it more watching it this most recent time than I did the last time I watched Swingers. Yeah, I I, I mean, again, Friday the 13th isn't my top 10 movies, but I tried to watch Swingers again not too long ago, and it was just like, ah, it, it, it's very dated now. And I haven't tried to watch it in a while, but it was one of those go-to movies for me. So I'll probably take Swingers, but again, you made it easy by picking Friday the 13th. <laughs> uh, Friday the 13th, Platoon. This is easy for me. Pl- Friday the 13th. Yeah, I hate Platoon. I think Platoon's better, but I'll take Friday the 13th. <laughs> you don't have to. I mean, well, no, no. I, w- I would watch this or Platoon uh, easily, uh, but I do think Platoon's really good. Friday the 13th, Matchstick Men. Matchstick Men is underrated, but I'm picking Friday the 13th. Same. Yeah. It is now ranked Woo-hoo. 63. Wouldn't it be funny if it was number 13? <laughs> no, because that means there's a lot what? of movies <laughs> behind it. <laughs> Friday the 13th is just under Vertigo and Casablanca. And right in front of Matchstick Man. <laughs> Looks like we need to run Vertigo through this. Yeah. <laughs> and Casablanca, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of which, I wrote a really, uh, a really article I'm really proud of about uh, Casablanca. Just talking about the opening two minutes of that movie. I wrote a, a article just talking about those opening two minutes and how effective they are in setting up the entire story of Casablanca. And I. Uh, just it demonstrates those opening two minutes demonstrate just how incredible Michael Curtiz as a director is. He's he's uh, and and not a great human. Uh, if you've ever read anything about him, he's not a great human. He murdered several people on his one, one of his earliest films, but uh, just with his carelessness. On, okay, with just pure carelessness. Just I mean, just a degree of carelessness that is honestly like. He should be deeply, deeply like John ashamed Landis of punishment. Uh, I oh. would say probably worse. Yeah, worse. I, would, yeah. I would say probably worse. Yeah. L- yeah. Look at how ne- fucked nearly up killed John Wayne. Nearly killed John Wayne. Well, <laughs> well, that actually that would be nothing good thing. of value was lost. <laughs> look at how fucked up our list is from 72 <laughs> to 53. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how is the Big Lebowski so low on your list, considering how much Sean loves it? Because we've never ran. It was, we've never ran. Yeah, I guess through. we never. Oh, yeah. okay. We we need to run old school through. <laughs> Get that <laughs> drop down it the down list. a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we need to move. Midsummer's got to run through. We got to yeah. drop. Oh, God, yeah, knock Magnolia down a little bit. No, Magnolia's awesome. Oh, fuck <laughs> All right, knock Platoon down a lot. That'd be That's, good. I can live with that. I think it's a solid movie but top 100 i don't know about that mm. all right all right well, maybe we'll do it maybe we'll do a flip chart uh, bonus episode sometime soon yeah and just pick random <laughs> and we'll fix it so we can 
<laughs> we can decide what's our top. You know what? Really here's is. here's what we do. We write down our top ten movies of all time as of that whatever moment that is, and then we re we rank the ones that match on our list. That's a good idea. I don't That's think I could idea. handle you guys shitting on Rocky. That would really hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate Rocky. I I, I love know, Rocky, but we're, it'll get. Uh, I'm just, I, mean, I know, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm calm down. All right, we're good. I'm just kidding. All right, cool. That's all, that's all an act. All right, all right. we'll talk to you guys later. See ya. Bye.